Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Alicia here. Great to have you back for this special day one recap episode from reInvent 2017. So lots and lots and lots of news has come out, and I'm going to cover it as efficiently as possible today. So uh, I guess uh, strap in, hold on, because here come the updates. The first area that I want to talk about are some updates in the area of IoT or the Internet of Things. Now, we all know that's a big burgeoning segment of IT and something that's really growing and people are doing a lot more interesting things in. And of course, there's lots of uh, opportunity to make it easier for people to do that. So the first thing we're announcing is AWS IoT Device Management. Now, this is the ability to manage your IoT devices at very large scale. So we're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, etc., of different devices. And what AWS IoT Device Management does is focus on the onboarding process So you can have an entire provisioning workflow from the as manufactured state of the devices all the way through. You can create templates to onboard fleets of devices with just a few clicks. This includes things like certificates and access policies, et cetera. You can also uh, organize your devices much more easily. So you can now create a hierarchical model of your fleet and set policies on that basis. So it basically extends the existing IoT device registry capability. Lots of monitoring, of course, so you can uh, gather telemetry from these devices in real time to Amazon CloudWatch. You can manage these devices remotely as well. This is one of the big uh, classic use case problems, which is how do I push new software or firmware? How do I reset to factory defaults, reboot, or set up bulk updates? Well, the AWS IT device management service is the one to help you in this area. So making that a lot more easy. And once you have all these devices generating data, you're probably going to want to do something with that data. And that's where AWS IoT Analytics comes in. So this is IoT Analytics at scale and very, very fast. Basically, this is where you can build uh, analytical functions of your own or use some of our pre-built analytic functions to visualize and take action on data that's coming in. You can identify patterns on the data. You can do all kinds of different analytics very, very simply. Basically, you receive your channel of information, your unprocessed information, consume it, process it, and visualize it. It's a very straightforward process. The blog post uh, related to this actually takes you through it in a pretty straightforward way. So a nice, easy way to step into that. This is available currently on a limited preview in a few regions and will be rolling out more uh, broadly very, very soon. But this really extends that capability to not just have the devices out there, but do things with the data that you receive. Now, something we have pre-announced and uh, this is something that's in the works and some of the details may change before release. However, it is AWS IoT Device Defender. And this is really helping solve the problem of security at scale for IoT devices. And this includes things like continuous auditing. So the AWS IoT Device Defender would monitor the policies related to your devices and ensure that there's no configuration drift. It would also help you run audits and do verification and improvements when necessary. Also real-time detection and alerting. So the ability to detect when a device is compromised and what to do. Do I turn it off? Do I reflash it, etc.? It'll also allow you to do very fast investigation and mitigation. So it'll help you understand what's going on in your environment and take action. So this is a pretty exciting solution for a lot of customers who are deploying a lot of devices out into the world and need to secure them effectively at scale. Keep an eye out for AWS IoT Device Defender because this may help you a lot in that space. And even more updates to the IoT portfolio, AWS IoT One Click is now in preview 
And this is a service that makes it really easy for simple devices to trigger AWS Lambda functions to do a specific action. So this could be something like call technical support, reorder some goods, lock or unlock a door. Uh, these simple devices are really sort of cloud-connected, simple purpose devices like buttons, badge readers, asset trackers, motion sensors, etc. Uh, as an example, the AOT, AWS IoT Enterprise Button, which is based on the Amazon Dash Button hardware, is an example of something you can use with this particular service. So this new service allows you to simply deploy these Lambda functions based upon these devices very, very quickly. So it'll be interesting to see what customers come up with in this space because uh, it's one of those little functions that you can use for a lot of different things. And the last update in the IoT space is a new open source offering, Amazon Free RTOS, which is an IoT microcontroller operating system that makes it easier to develop, secure, deploy, and maintain microcontroller-based edge devices. Now, Amazon Free RTOS extends the Free RTOS kernel, which is a very popular real-time operating system, bit of a tip in the name there, uh, with libraries that let you have local and cloud connectivity, security, and very soon over-the-air updates as well. So this allows you to create some really interesting solutions for low-power connected devices where uh, a more heavyweight or heavy-duty operating system won't fit very well. It also allows you to have secure data and device connections because you can use the code signing service that allows you to have very secure connection back to AWS using TLS. You can also securely store keys and sensitive data on the device. There's already an extensive ecosystem with lots of different hardware and qualified chipsets, things like uh, Texas Instruments, Microchip, NXP Semiconductors, and STM Microelectronics. And these devices can also connect directly to the AWS cloud or via AWS Greengrass. So this is a really nice and simple to get started approach for some of these connected devices that you may want to be working with in the very near future. Now let's move from the IoT world into the machine learning and artificial intelligence world. And we have lots of things for customers in this space to make it easy to get started and use machine learning or AI in your own software and own decision-making. The first thing is something called Amazon SageMaker. And SageMaker is a fully managed end-to-end -end machine learning service that enables data scientists, developers, and machine learning experts to quickly build, train, and host machine learning models at scale. This lets you get going really, really fast. And there are three main components that I think are really fascinating here. First is the authoring side. So most people in this space will be using something like a, a Jupyter Notebook ID for data exploration, analysis, cleaning, etc. So with this service, you have a zero setup hosted version of this that you can run on general instance types or GPU powered instances. So I'm a big fan of Jupyter Notebooks. So this is great news for anyone who uses that because you can just get going really, really quickly. Then it includes model training. So it has a distributed model building training and validation service. So you can use the built-in common supervised and unsupervised learning algorithms, or you can bring your own using Docker containers. And the training can scale to tens of instances to build your models much more quickly. Now, of course, you read your training data from S3 and your model's going to S3, our old friend. And so this makes it very easy to create lots and lots of models, test different versions and iterate very, very quickly, which really is one of the key elements of doing machine learning. The final thing is, well, where do you put your models? So this also includes model hosting or a model hosting service that provides HTTPS endpoints for invoking your models and get real-time inferences. Now, these endpoints can start to support, can scale, I should say, to support lots of traffic and it also allow you to do A-B testing of multiple models simultaneously. 
And you can also construct these endpoints using the built-in SDK, or you can provide your own configurations with Docker images as well. So this makes it really, really easy to get things up and going. Now, obviously combining things like Apache MXNet, etc., fits into this, but you can use a whole raft of different technologies. So this is kind of like um, Christmas come early for people in the ML world because you can build things really, really fast, which is really, really nice. Now, one of the other interesting things is that whilst many people want to build models and do custom things, other people just want off-the-shelf services that do certain jobs and do them quite well. And one of the examples of this is a new service called Amazon Comprehend. This is continuously trained natural language processing. This service is designed to analyze text and tell you what it finds. Kind of a useful thing for a machine to do. Uh, any language from Afrikaans to Yoruba, um, and of course, all the common ones you want, about 100 different languages are supported. It can identify entities. It can identify people places, brands, products, etc. It also can understand sentiment, which I know is something that people often look for in logs and other types of information from customer interactions. It can also pull out key phrases, etc. It has language detection, entity categorization, sentiment analysis, and key phrase extraction. And these are done in hundreds of milliseconds. So it's really worked for almost real-time or near real-time analysis with a really nice viewing capability in the GUI as well, which means you can see what's going on with the text that you're analyzing very, very quickly. You can also create models that you can run on an ongoing basis. And this is really, really useful for a lot of sentiment analysis and those types of interactions on call center logs, etc., that are very, very popular today. Of course, you may say, Simon, that's great, but I've got a whole lot of data that's in recorded mode, not in textual mode. What do I do? Well, hello to Amazon Transcribe. This is speech to text at scale. Uh, this is currently in private preview and it's automatic, automatic speech recognition that allows you to convert speech into text very, very fast. And what you simply do is analyze your files that are stored, of course, in S3 in many different formats. We support WAV, MP4, MP3, FLAC, etc. And you basically get a detailed and accurate transcript with timestamps for every word, as well as inferred punctuation. Now, during the preview, you can use the asynchronous transcription API to transcribe speech in English or Spanish as well. So this is a very powerful solution that you can see will have lots of applications for many different things and be parts of many other solutions as it grows as well. So we've talked about uh, text, we've talked about voice. What's the obvious next one? Yes, vision. So uh, we now have Amazon Recognition Video, which is deep learning-based video recognition. Now, you'd all be familiar with the original Amazon Recognition service, which was an image-based service. Now we have Amazon Recognition Video. So we have kind of two variants now. Uh, and this is a video analysis service that allows you to have really scalable vision analysis to your S3 stored video and also live video streams, which is pretty exciting. Basically, you can accurately detect, track, recognize, extract, and moderate thousands of objects, faces, and content from a video. The other thing that's really exciting about this is it also provides the complete context of what's happening from a visual, temporal, and motion perspective so it can perform activity detection and person tracking. So, for example, it could say, hey, there's a man in the picture or in the video, there's a car in the video, but the man is running to the car. That's really exciting. So, this is a really interesting and exciting service that you can get your hands on now to have a play with. And it really extends what we could do before with uh, Amazon recognition 
into a whole new exciting realm. But Simon, you may be saying, how do I get my video effectively into somewhere that uh, Amazon Recognition Video can work on it? Well, I'm happy to announce Amazon Kinesis Video Streams, which is our serverless video ingestion and storage for vision-enabled apps. So we all know about Amazon Kinesis, which we've been using for many other streaming-type workloads. This now allows you to do video content, which, of course, has its own uh, magical requirements of volume and scale, etc., uh, to bring that into a durable stream, encrypted, and save it into the appropriate location as well. So you could process these incoming streams using Amazon Recognition Video, of course, uh, Apache MXNet, TensorFlow, OpenCV, or your own code as well. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Basically, you use a producer SDK, which is a device-side component that then sends the video from the device of your choice. The incoming video comes over a TLS connection and is stored in time-indexed form after being encrypted using KMS. Then you use the video streams parser library on the cloud side to consume the video stream and extract whatever you want from it. So this means you can get very, very scalable input of this information into the place you need it to be and use it as you need to. So this becomes a very, very powerful thing. Now this is available in US East North Virginia, US West Oregon, EU Ireland, EU Frankfurt and Asia Pacific Tokyo at the moment. It'll expand over time, but you can get started straight away and see what you can build with this little capability. However, you may be sitting there and saying, well, that's all well and good, Simon. You've given me a recognition capability. You've given me a transportation capability, but what about capture? Well, say hello to Adibus Deep Lens which is a new video camera. So it's a piece of hardware that runs deep learning models directly on the device out in the field. And this is something really useful for developers to build different apps and different styles of applications that they may not have been able to build before. And the hardware itself brings a lot of power to the table. So there's a four megapixel camera that can capture 1080p video uh, with a 2D microphone array as well. It has an Intel Atom processor with over 100 gigaflops of compute power. So you can run tens of frames of incoming video through onboard deep learning models every second. So you can be processing things locally. And then you have dual band Wi-Fi, USB, and you also have micro HDMI points, ports, I should say, points, God, getting tired, eh? And then wrapping it all up, there is eight gig of memory as well for your models and your code. Um, from a software perspective, uh, it runs Ubuntu 16.04, has the green grass core on there as well, and also has a device op optimized version of Apache MXNet. Uh, you can also use other frameworks such as TensorFlow, Cafe2, uh, a whole bunch of different stuff as well. So this is a really useful thing for developers to get their hands on to build novel and uh, modern applications. Let's put it that way. Or new applications expressed in the field that need video capability. Now, what's been interesting is I've spoken to lots of customers who have kind of built an analog of this using a bunch of different components. This wraps it all together, making it easy to get started. Um, this will start shipping in 2018, initially in the US, uh, but more information will be coming to hand. So make sure you put in uh, on the webpage, linked in the show notes, to express your interest in getting hold of one of these. Okay, it's time to shift to storage. We can't get away from storage. And it would be remiss of me not to mention a couple of updates to both the Simple Storage Service and to Glacier as well. Firstly, we have S3 Select. And then we have Glacier Select, and this allows you to retrieve subsets of objects. Now this is launching in preview, allowing you to retrieve only a subset of data from an object using simple S3, uh, simple SQL compression, expressions, I should say. Uh, 
This allows you to retrieve only the data needed by your application. And you can get very, very high performance increases, in some cases up to 400% faster performance and much, much cheaper. So have a look in the show notes at the examples there. This applies in slightly different ways to both S3 and to Glacier and will be integrated with a number of different components as well and partner solutions. So this brings a lot more flexibility to how you might choose to interact with S3 and with Glacier. So if we're talking storage, then we need to move into the database world and there is a new database service to share with you. Amazon Neptune is a fully managed graph database service. Now, graphs are an interesting kind of database because they're all about relationships and they're about much more uh, complex and uh, challenging relationships to model in the traditional relational database sense. And this tends to often result in very expensive queries and weird data modeling type things. So the graph database is designed to solve those types of highly connected data sets. So what's Amazon Neptune? Well, it's a purpose-built high-performance graph database engine optimized for storing billions of relationships and querying the graph with milliseconds of latency. This is a fully managed database. So again, undifferentiated heavy lifting taken care of for you. So maintenance, patching, backups, restores, done. Uh, basically, it allows you to have very fast failover, point-in-time recovery, multi-AZ deployments, up to 15 read replicas, and you can scale query throughput to hundreds of thousands of queries per second. It also runs within your VPC and lets you encrypt your data at rest as well, so you have complete control. So this is a very exciting service if you're doing anything that requires a graph-style database. This is something you should definitely take a look at to make your life a lot easier to get going rather than trying to create an analog of that in another database mechanism. What about if you're a NoSQL user, you're using Amazon DynamoDB quite happily, what does the service team have for you in that world? Well, they have two really important features for customers that I know you've been waiting for for a while. The first is global tables. You can now create tables that are automatically replicated across two or more AWS regions with full support for multi-master rights. That's no small thing uh, with just a few clicks. So this is really useful for those global type applications. More details in the show notes. I'm not going to go into the details today because it's going to be too long a podcast otherwise. The second thing which I know a lot of you will be excited about is on-demand backup. You can now create full backups of your DynamoDB tables with a single click and zero impact on performance or availability. That's what we like to hear. So the team have done pretty well there. Now, in terms of availability, this will be uh, rolled out progressively across regions and accounts. So check the show notes for availability. But this is a really important update for DynamoDB that will help you make things a lot easier. Now let's shift to the compute realms, lots of updates here. So the first one is that we're announcing Amazon EC2 bare metal instances with direct access to hardware. So this is something a lot of customers have wanted for a little while. So we're announcing a public preview of the i3.metal instance. That's a pretty cool name, I have to agree. Uh, this lets you run the operating system directly on the underlying hardware while still having all the benefits of the cloud. This instance type lets you have direct access to the processor and other hardware uh, in this case, we're talking about two Intel Xeon E52684V4 processors with up to 36 hyperthreaded cores, uh, 512 gig of memory, uh, 15.2 terabytes of local SSD-based NVMe storage, and uh, up to 25 gig of ENA-based enhanced networking. Now, these are fully-fledged members of the EC2 family, so you can use ELBs, auto-scaling, CloudWatch, auto-recovery, etc. You can also access all the related services in 
AWS as well. So this is a really, really nifty capability for those people who want bare metal access to their particular servers. Speaking of new instance types, there is of course a new M5 instance type. So this is part of our general purpose EC2 instance family. Uh, as ever, we try and update the instance types all the time to take advantage of the latest hardware and give you a better price performance. Typically, you'll see a 14% better price performance in the M4 instances on a per core basis. Also, if your application uses AVX 512 instructions, you'll get twice as many flops per core as well. And also there's a new size at the high end. So this family now spans from the M5 large, which is two vCPUs and eight gig of RAM, all the way up to the M524X large, which is 96 vCPUs and 384 gig of RAM, and also has up to 25 gig of network bandwidth as well. So this gives you a lot of choice in terms of your general requirements. And in fact, for most customers, the M class is the family that you want to be using in general, just to get a feel for what your application is like. And then you can tune to some of the different families as necessary, but this gives you a really good and very efficient starting point uh, for your applications. You can launch these today in US East North Virginia, US West Oregon and EU Ireland in on-demand and spot and also reserved instances uh, available and other regions will be coming along the way as well. So keep an eye out for those ones. And another new instance type is the H1 instance, which is basically fast, dense storage for big data applications. And these provide a lot more vCPU and more memory per terabyte compared to the existing D2 instance types. These are based on the Intel Xeon E52686v4 processors, and they come in four instance types. They're all VPC only and HVM only, and they range from the H12X large, which is eight vCPUs, 32 gig of RAM, two terabytes of local storage, all the way up to the H116X large, which is 64 vCPUs, 256 gig, and 16 terabytes of local storage as well. These are available in North Virginia, Oregon, Ohio, and Ireland regions today. And you can start playing with those and see how they fit your application profile. Now, regular listeners will know that I do love the uh, EC2 spot capability, the ability to bid for instance capacity at the price you choose. Well, now there's a new streamlined access model for spot instances. You basically indicate your desire to use spot capacity when you launch an instance via the run instances function or the run instances command or the console. And the request will be fulfilled so long as the capacity is available. You don't have to do anything else and you can save up to 90% off the on-demand price which means you can get lots and lots of capacity for a very low cost with a very simple model. Now, the old model, you had to know spot markets, bidding, calls to a different uh, API, etc. You can still do all that sort of stuff if you want to, but now it's as clean, as simple as possible. Basically, you can just make a request for some spot capacity and get the cheapest, most efficient price. And we've also now worked to smooth the price changes in spot as well. So the price will adjust more gradually based on longer term trends of supply and demand. So you'll continue to save the same amount that you saved before, but it'll be easy to make predictions of what's going on, etc. So how are you doing there? You with me still? I think we're just about 20 minutes plus in and more updates to come, but we're nearly on the home stretch, everyone. So stick with me. So let's continue to talk about compute, but let's talk about containers because containers are so hot right now. Uh, obviously, one of the... Uh, uh, platforms or the uh, schedulers that people like to use is something called Kubernetes. And a lot of customers run Kubernetes on AWS. 
And so we're a big fan of getting rid of undifferentiated heavy lifting so we can announce in preview the Amazon Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes. Now this is of course a fully managed service that makes it easy for you to use Kubernetes on AWS without having to be an expert on managing those clusters. And let's face it, they can be tricky to manage. Basically, Amazon EKS runs an upstream version of the open source Kubernetes software. So you can use all the existing plugins, tooling that you've got that you're using in the community. And they are fully compatible with applications running on any standards Kubernetes environment, whether it's on-premises data centers or in public cloud. So you can migrate things really, really easily. Uh, the other nice thing is that Amazon EKS automatically runs Kubernetes with three masters across three availability zones to protect against single point of failure. And as we all know, the multi-AZ architecture gives you great resiliency. So sign up for a look at that. We'd love to see, get your feedback on what you think works well and what needs to be improved. Essentially, it's a few clicks to get up and running and EKS handles upgrades, patching, high availability. It's a, a good answer for a lot of people who are running that platform at the moment. And while we're talking about containers, we should talk about something pretty exciting that's new, AWS Fargate. This allows you to run containers without managing infrastructure. And this is a very easy way to deploy your containers on AWS. It's kind of like EC2, but instead of getting a virtual machine, you get a container. And it allows you to use containers as a very fundamental compute primitive without having to manage the underlying instances. So basically, all you do is build your container image, specify the CPU memory requirements, define your networking and IAM, and away you go. Now, the nice thing is, is you can still use all the same ECS primitives as well. And it basically integrates for you and takes away the need to manage that EC2 layer and simply provides the Fargate layer instead, which means you kind of have a, a managed uh, platform for containerization. Again, this is one that will benefit you reading the blog post on this because it really takes care of some of the details that you need to be aware of. And it's available today in the US East, Northern Virginia region. And I think you'll see some really interesting things coming from this technology in terms of flexibility and the ability to reduce management overhead, which is always a good thing. Now, for our security listeners and people who are interested in security, and that should be all of you, another new service that's available now that is really relevant is something called Amazon Guard Duty. Now, Amazon Guard Duty is continuous security monitoring and threat detection. Essentially, it consumes lots and lots of streams of data. So threat intelligent feeds, uh, malicious IP addresses, incorrect domains, and it understands uh, malicious or unauthorized behavior in your AWS accounts. It also pulls data from VPC flow logs, AWS CloudTrail event logs, DNS logs, etc. So it can figure out lots and lots of suspicious activity from all kinds of sources of information. Now, this all operates on AWS infrastructure and does not affect the performance or reliability of your own workloads. You don't have to install agents, sensors, network appliances. It's a zero footprint model which would makes it really easy to use and get lots of information. You get uh, findings in three levels, you know, low, medium, or high. You'll get detailed evidence, recommendations for remediation. You can also push these things to CloudWatch events, which means you can create Lambda functions to automatically remediate certain things. You can also push these findings into other event management systems like Splunk, Sumo Logic, and PagerDuty, or into Jira ServiceNow and Slack, just as an example. This is available in a variety of regions around the world in general availability right now, and I highly recommend you take a look at it and activate it. It gives you a really good security profile in a very effective fashion with very, very little work. You can also try it for no charge for 30 days. And after that, you simply pay based on the number of entries it processes from your VPC flow, CloudTrail, and DNS logs. So this is really important from a security perspective.
Now, what about developers? If you're a mobile developer, you're probably very familiar with GraphQL, uh, which is a responsive data query language and a server-side runtime for querying data sources that give you real-time data retrieval and dynamic query execution. It's kind of what the cool kids are using these days. And so AWS AppSync is available in preview, and this is a fully managed serverless GraphQL service for real-time data queries, synchronization, communication, and offline programming features. So this is really, really useful in terms of those mobile applications that aren't always going to be connected. Uh, the blog post gives you some really good information about how you can take advantage of this. It's in public preview at the moment. You can sign up for it. It supports iOS, Android, and JavaScript applications. So definitely something to get your hands on if this is something you're building at the moment. I think it's another great undifferentiated heavy lifting component that is being taken away. Okay, now it's time for a big update at the network layer, and this is around AWS Private Link. Now, you may be familiar with AWS Private Link from the announcement we made uh, just a little while ago where you could access things like Amazon Kinesis Stream, Service Catalog, Systems Manager, EC2, etc., through VPC endpoints. And these were through Elastic Network interfaces that were inside your VPC and had IP addresses drawn from your VPC subnet. So you didn't need internet or NAT gateways. It was very secure, very scalable, very private. So now we are introducing endpoints for private connectivity. So this allows you to set up and use VPC endpoints to access your own services and make them available by others. So this is really nice because companies can create services and offer them for sale to other AWS customers for access via a private connection. So basically, they create a service that accepts TCP traffic, host it behind a network load balancer, and then make the service available either directly or in AWS Marketplace. They get notified by of new subscription requests, can choose to accept or reject them, and this will create a really interesting ecosystem of service providers because now you can have communication solely through the endpoint with all traffic flowing across the Amazon private network. Uh, service consumers don't have to worry about overlapping IP addresses. There's no need for VPC peering or a VPC gateway. It becomes very, very powerful. So this is a really exciting network layer innovation that I think a lot of customers will like. Another quick update for developers I think we'll be pretty excited about is that AWS Lambda now supports traffic shifting and phase deployments using AWS Code Deploy. So in the past, if you were deploying a new AWS Lambda version, you had to switch all the traffic to that new version immediately. Now you can point a Lambda alias to two function versions and configure the percentage of traffic that's routed to each version. And you can set it very, very easily and automate a gradual rollout using AWS Code Deploy as well. This helps you figure out, you know, how much traffic are you shifting? Are you satisfied with the rollout? Do you need to roll back? It's very much a canary type approach, something really useful for a lot of people. Now, speaking of Canaries, the Amazon API Gateway also now supports Canary release deployments. So you can also gradually roll out new APIs in Amazon API Gateway. You can use stage level settings. You can set the percentage of API requests that is handled by new API deployments to a stage. And you can also define which variables have the Canary settings. It essentially will create an additional set of Amazon CloudWatch log groups CloudWatch metrics, etc., so you can understand what's happening in each of the different versions that are going on. Now, this is already available in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, US West North California, Canada Central, South America, Sao Paulo, EU Ireland, EU Frankfurt, EU London, Asia Pacific Singapore, Asia Pacific Tokyo, Asia Pacific Sydney, Asia Pacific Seoul, and Asia Pacific Mumbai regions. So this is really exciting for 
those software developers who are trying to deploy in a very modern, efficient, continuous way and have feedback as they roll into production, this is the way to do it. Now, for many developers, uh, VR, AR, augmented reality is a new horizon, a new way of building applications with new features and capabilities, particularly with some of the more modern smartphones, etc., having those capabilities built in or accessible. So there is a new service that's been announced called Amazon Sumerian. And Amazon Sumerian is a service that allows you to create, build, and run VR and AR and 3D applications with ease. You don't need any specialized knowledge as a really interesting and easy-to-use interface. You can also import FBX, OBJ, and Unity projects into Sumerian, and you can also upload your own 3D assets for use in your scene as well. It is available in preview, so sign up if you're interested for that, but it creates a real uh, complete environment um, that takes advantage of things like Oculus, HTC Vive, and iOS devices as well, and also will have support for ArcCore on Android devices very soon. Basically, it gives you an editor, an object library, asset import, scripting library, hosts, and integration with things like Amazon Polly and Amazon Lex to allow you to do speech and natural language as well. It can also be used with AWS Lambda, so you can kind of access any service you want. Now, the nice thing is you don't need to have 3D graphics or programming experience to build something meaningful. So check it out, a really exciting new service for customers. And if you are operating in the media space, so you need to create media, sell media, etc. well, I've got some good news for you. We now have the AWS Media Services. This allows you to process, store, and monetize cloud-based video. So I'm going to run through some of these services at a high level. It'll be a deep dive at a later time because these are broadcast quality media services. So the first service is AWS Elemental Media Convert. And this is file-based transcoding for OTT broadcast or archiving. Lots of formats, lots of codecs, multi-channel audio, graphic overlay, closed captions, DRM, gives you a lot of capability there. Then there's AWS Elemental Media Live, which does live encoding of video streams in real time to both televisions and multi-screen devices as well. The AWS Elemental Media Package, which allows you to do video origination and just-in-time packaging. So you can support multiple monetization models, time-shifted live streaming, ad insertion, DRM, blackout management, etc. Then there's the AWS Elemental Media Store, which is media-optimized storage that gives you high performance and low latency. Now, this is really useful when you're trying to store information. It's kind of a different model when you're doing uh, live streaming. And this is a really interesting service that combines the durability of the simple storage service with some very nifty performance enhancements. And finally, there's the AWS Elemental Media Tailor. This is a monetization service that allows you to have ad serving and server-side ad insertion across a broad range of devices, transcoding, and get accurate reporting of server-side and client-side ad insertion. So all these services are really relevant if you're working in the media space or working with high quality media. These will all be very, very interesting to you to get your hands on and try out what they can do for you. I think it's time for yet another new service. This one's the AWS Systems Manager. Now this is a unified interface for managing your cloud and hybrid resources. It gives you one place that you can simply see all the resources for your application management makes it very easy to operate and manage your applications at scale, allows you to group things together logically, see a visual inventory, understand your asset management, take action, do patching, etc. And the automation is probably one of the most exciting parts of this because it allows you to take action on common tasks that you'd have to do based upon CloudWatch events. 
It is available all around the place and it is available for free. So this is something to have a look at when you want to uh, automate your world as well. Now, just want to clarify some naming. EC2 Systems Manager, sometimes called SSM, is what you've used before today and you can still use those commands. AWS Systems Manager builds on and enhances many of the tools provided by the EC2 Systems Manager. And it allows you to have those same tools applied to more than just EC2. So when you see Systems Manager in the future, it'll be AWS AWS Systems Manager and not the EC2 Systems Manager. Um, No additional charge for this functionality and available immediately in all public AWS regions as well. And so I think we have time for just one more thing. And that one more thing is Amazon MQ, which is a managed message broker service for ActiveMQ. I know lots of customers use uh, uh, ActiveMQ. It's built into many application types, etc. Now, many customers have used uh, SQS and SNS for applications that are bought in the cloud. However, lots of uh, our existing customers and customers who are moving to us have legacy applications that require this component. And this is one of those absolute classic cases, yes, I'm going to say it one more time, of undifferentiated heavy lifting that is being taken off your plate. It's a fully managed service that means you can get started with Apache ActiveMQ in three clicks. That's pretty cool to get going really, really fast. Uh, you can create a single instance Amazon MQ broker for dev and test. You can have an active standby pair that spans AZs with quick automatic failover. You get data replication, pay-as-you-go model. It's all the things you're used to having and very, very functional and capable. It's basically a drop-in replacement for what you'd be doing today, which means you can get up and running very, very fast and get out of the business of managing active MQ clusters because really that's not too exciting these days. It's available now and you can start using it in US East North Virginia, US East Ohio, US West Oregon, EU Ireland, EU Frankfurt and Asia Pacific Sydney. So thank you for sticking with me for this long, long episode. There'll probably be another long one tomorrow. And uh, it's a pretty exciting time if you're a builder because there's lots, lots more things to build. Yes, over 100 services now that you can take advantage of at AWS and always more on the way. And until next time, with lots and lots of new stuff, please do keep on building.